Hi, I'm Mahani. Hi, I'm Erin with two R's. Welcome to Wine, Tea, and Tasty Reads. Hey there, Wine, Tea, and Tasty Readers. Welcome to episode 16. 16! Oh my god, we're on our sweet 16, aren't we? Aw, 16 candles. <laughs> hey, that's my job. Oh, sorry. <laughs> We're continuing on with Storyteller by Dave Grohl. We'll be covering sections three and four in this episode. Well, a portion of... We decided to kind of split it up a little bit differently. But if you read three and four, you should stay with us. That is code for we effed up last week. And so we'll be making those corrections (laughs) in this episode. Pretty much. Mahani, what are we drinking today? Well, I got a red out of California called Freak Show. Hmm. It's really fitting for these chapters, don't you think? Yeah, it's. I just I looked at the title and I was like, this sounds pretty on point. Mm. So it's a Michael and David's wine. It's actually not my most favorite sipping wine, but it does have some really interesting notes on it. It's pretty appropriately named. It's it's different. Mm. It's very very different. Um, and you need to let it sit and open up for a little bit because. Um, yeah, it wasn't giving the best yeah, nose right, up, right away. Right out of the bottle, it was just, it was a lot of grape and a lot of alcohol. So make sure you let this guy breathe for a little bit. Do they have Chewbacca in a suit on this? It does kind of look like Chewbacca in a suit. I think it's Chewbacca in a suit. The label certainly is interesting. But it's a freak show. Right at the top, you get some tobacco notes. You get that bright cherry hit right after that. And then it just kind of mellows down into a nice oaky finish. It's actually really quite nice with this dill Tavardi cheese that I have. So, you know, herby things. It's. I think it's good with maybe like a pork chop. Um, yeah. And it, normally I wouldn't pick a. I, I don't usually drink wine when I have pork chops, but. I would drink this one because I feel like rosemary would go Mm -hmm. like if you did rosemary pork chop or lamb or something like that. I think you really need to not sip this one. I think it should go with a dinner with food. And we're doing we're doing kind of not that. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's kind of counterintuitive because you look at the notes and you think, oh, this would go great with something smoky. But actually, it really doesn't complement the smokiness. It's it goes much better with a very herby kind of flavor. I'm definitely going to try this with um, lamb. And it got the American Winery of the Year. Um, well, the Michael David Winery got the Winery of the Year in 2020. So, um, Yeah, Michael David's put out some really interesting stuff. Yeah, this is... I, it's growing on me as I try more things with it, but I'm, I just absolutely believe that this goes with a meal. This is not for, like, sipping or having a girl's night. Yeah. Um, it's very hearty. Yeah, it's honestly, it was the initial tobacco flavor that kind of caught me off guard. But it's, you know, once it smooths out at the end, it's, it, yeah, it does. It kind of grows on you. <laughs> I was like, church wine, and then it got the tobacco. I was like, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> After we let it open up a little bit, so definitely let it open um, before you start your imbibing is that the word i don't know we're gonna let that be the word (laughs) let's go ahead and get into the book before i say anything else that's ridiculous (laughs) so 
last week we left you guys at the birth of Nirvana. Dave Grohl gets this phone call. He's basically starving on his friend's floor in LA and living off of tips from mud wrestlers <laughs> and canned beans. Hearing it out loud is just something else it's, because I've been reading it and you've been listening to it. It's so. really hard to say with a straight face. <laughs> and then he gets this phone call. Hey, man, have you ever heard of Nirvana? And everything changed for him. Literally everything. So Dave goes up to Seattle and meets Kurt and Kirst. And he opts to hop on board with Nirvana. And they birth this rock and roll movement that creates an entire genre of music together. Literally. And it's kind of funny because they're they're sitting here surviving on three for a dollar corn dogs <laughs> from the gas station. And I think they call it shit on a roof. They take canned tuna and pepper and mix it together some kind of weird way. And it's it, it sounds like actual dog crap. It tastes better. Like it tastes like dog crap. That's what it sounds like to me. That's tuna, though. I know, but it's just the way he was describing it. It just sounded appallingly disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) And they're 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 being courted by these record company executives that are offering them record contracts for hundreds of thousands of dollars and they're and then they go back to their shitty apartment with this turtle that Dave wants to kill oh god (laughs) because of the tapping apparently it likes to tap (laughs) I don't know it was a funny scene happening in my head yeah that's exactly what (laughs) the visual I got was like oh that's his make Make the turtle stop tapping. <laughs> never more, never more. And they they're starving in this no this happy apartment, real and they're being offered hundreds of thousands of dollars in contracts, and they're starving. And I got I I honestly I have a huge amount of respect for these guys simply because they held out until they found the right guy because there's a lot of people that just saw that money and realized their situation and they just knee jerk signed and they really took a step back looked at what was at stake and made the right decision and waited. So I just, I have a huge amount of respect. Well, I mean, and that's hard to do as well. Cause I mean, when you have those contracts and like you're saying, you're eating like the shit on a roof and you have all these contracts coming in, it's very tempting to just want to take that. And if, especially if you know that, or you feel in your heart that your product is good, you know, and they knew they were good. It was just, finding the place that would be that they said they wanted to be the next big thing. Like they want it to be a big band. They wanted all of that type of stuff. Well, Kurt literally said, we want to be the biggest band in the world. Yeah. Um, and, and gosh, they darn were, it, were to they? his demise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, cause even people like me who did not listen to that type of music, I know who Nirvana is, you know, <laughs> like everybody our age, at least, 
has heard of Nirvana. We've heard some things of theirs, even if we didn't realize that's what we were listening to. Can I also make a make a sidebar pop culture comment um, to all of you young people out there? There is more to Nirvana than smells like teen spirit. Okay. Listen to more of Nirvana, please. And buying the T-shirt at Five Below. Can you actually listen to the bands that you're wearing on your shirt? Yes. I cannot tell you how many people have on like Prince and Nirvana shirts and just and I'm just like, do you even listen to these artists? Yeah. Like, name me one song that's not Smells Like Teen Spirit. Go. Name me one song that's not Purple Rain by Prince. Like, yeah, all of that, every mm-hmm. single thing. If you buy something that has somebody's face on it or somebody's band on it. Listen to the music. You don't even know what you're wearing. They're not even listening to this podcast. They need to be because yes. y'all need to read books too. But anyway, <laughs> but I digress. There's a lot more to Nirvana than that. And I have heard several songs by Nirvana and I'm just like, this still not my vibe, but I can see why that would be a vibe. And it did change. Like it changed it created an entire genre of music. It's, an, it's the new it's the new genre. It really is. And it's still evolving, but everything yeah. now has evolved from that point. Yeah. Like we can hear that it's not coming from Elvis, which it was before. Um, and now it's just like Nirvana was a turning point and now everything is that direction. And then they mm-hmm. either split off their separate, you know, they branch off those ways, but literally. So it's, it's, it's the grunge scene, but yes, it, it was originally called grunge rock. And then it kind of mutated into alternative rock. And it's it's just kind of been shifting and changing from there. I mean, we have a fusion today, but you can still hear those influences. I hear it in so many different bands where I'm just like, bloody hell, that was brilliant. But it all goes back to Nirvana. <laughs> yeah. So then we get signed and they start touring and playing these sold out theater shows around the US and as with anything else they start experimenting with drugs i mean it's just part of what the music scene is unfortunately it it was actually a lingering part of hollywood because remember in hollywood they would write into the contract money for drugs like for the stars so it it really was just a part of that life unfortunately and we hear that it kind of freaked Dave out um he didn't really care to experiment with drugs for fear of ODing or taking the wrong thing and having a bad trip and things like that but unfortunately Kurt was not of that same mind and when they, after their first tour of the U.S., they took a little hiatus and came back to do SNL together. And Dave noticed a very large shift in Kurt because he had started trying heroin. Mm. And it made him nervous. He was concerned about his fragility. Uh, and he even said in the book he has trouble watching the video for Nevermind that they filmed shortly thereafter because he doesn't like to see Kurt like that. Mm-hmm. And he saw his friend just transform from this kind-hearted, gentle artist to 
a drug addict. And it's really kind of sad. Yeah. I mean, I think this is the point where we need to mention that, yeah, drugs are a part of that industry. But at the same time, if you know somebody who needs help, help them get help. (laughs) Yeah. There's so many programs, guys. Don't do not let your friend go down that path by themselves. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's just and we do have um, what is it called? Is it a it's an endemic or it's it's basically a problem with heroin-based drugs drugs in the U.S. Um, it's pretty bad. So, you know, if you see your friends going down that path, you d- definitely do whatever you can to try to get them some help because um, it's just, it's not worth it. It really isn't worth seeing your loved ones like that if you can help them, if they'll accept the help because that's, it does change you. It changes your whole, it changes your brain. So then they end up scheduling this tour this international tour where they go to Australia, which turns out to be extremely healing for everybody, mm-hmm. which is wonderful. Uh, they they do all kinds of crazy stuff there, uh, surfing and beach going. I mean, Dave speaks so... He speaks very highly of Australia in general. Yeah. This entire book, like he... In a later part that we'll get to, he was like, this is literally my favorite place. Yeah. you can, And you can definitely tell he loves it there. Um, let's go to Australia. I'm in. Let's do it. Let's go tomorrow. Yes. No. Dave, you've talked me into it. I'm going to Australia. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> then they go to Japan. Which, Things get kind of funny. Oh, gosh. What did he say? Um, if Australia was another hemisphere... Japan was another fucking planet. (laughs) And, you know, from what I hear from people who go there, it literally is so different from what we're used to in the U.S. and traveling, like, even in Europe. Like, it's just its own. Yes, they have their own culture, but it's like. I don't know that it's a culture that it's immediately something you can assimilate into and act like you belong. (laughs) It's. It's not one of those places. Well, and especially for these three guys from the Seattle grunge rock scene. They played one of their concerts in this place that looked (laughs) like he described it like Carnegie Hall. Okay, they had chandeliers. Nobody was allowed to move from their specific seat assignments and there were guys with white gloves that were just policing the crowd well if you remember the olympics in japan like you can believe that like they're very it's very organized and i dare say regimented like everything just works like a well or or oiled machine because i think you're getting to the part where um they were trying to get a a reaction from the crowd and um they had been given instruments by um what company was that it was tama yeah well, so the drum kit, the drum came, from kit tama. came from tama and they like wrecked everything like they were just trying to get them just you know come out of their shell and that's just not the type of society that they are it's very tame but it's like control chaos when you go to something like that. <laughs> from what I understand from my studies, not from like actually going. I haven't been yet. But, um, you know, the representatives from Tamil was like, did you not like the, the the materials? And they were like, oh, my gosh, you know, culture shock. 
in America, we would just expect <laughs> you would give them something and you knew that they were going to destroy it. But there they were like, oh, my God, did you not like it? It was it, it, we didn't do it right. I'm so sorry. You know, and they're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's not what. No. <laughs> It was just, the scene that was happening in my head was hysterical, like this, this really sweet, humble, shaking man going up to this rock star. I'm so sorry I messed up, sir. And it's just like, no, 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 no. Well, I mean, he has to go back and tell his superiors what happened with the equipment. Like, why is the equipment not returned, you know, Mm -hmm. or why did they not take the equipment with them? You know, it's a complete different culture. Um, (laughs) <laughs> with I thought it was funny. Yeah, I I thought the whole time in Japan just sounded kind of funny. The juxtaposition of the grungy chaos into being pushed into the very organized, classic, elegant theaters of Japan. <laughs> it's just kind of funny what's happening in my head. Um, and then. Things get really kind of real with the situation with Kurt because they take another hiatus, which ends up being very healing and refreshing for Kirsten Dave. But Kurt ends up snowballing and getting himself into a wormhole. But he enrolls himself into rehab and things are looking up and then all of a sudden he's just gone and that's how we start the section three yeah section three the moment so i guess we should stop here and go ahead and get the tea ready finish up this wine let's just go ahead and get the tea ready and then we'll come back and start with part three um titled the moment we'll be right back Hey guys, welcome back to Wine, Tea, and Tasty Reads, episode 16. Yay, 16. And we have our tea brewed, we're all set and ready to go. Erin, what are we drinking today? I'm so excited to drink this. It's tea in Texas. It's a green tea and it's called Austin Weirdness. And no joke, on the label it says, unfurl your freak flag, because it's about to get weird. And they call this the rehydrating green blend. I think it is kind of rehydrating. Absolutely. It is. It's not in a way, you know, normally tea is a little acidic, so you have to increase the amount of water you drink to kind of counter that. But I don't, I mean, you're still going to have to do that. But I don't feel like I need to rush to drink water. Absolutely. <laughs> so, I, I never feel like I should rush to drink water, but please drink water. Um, but right now we're drinking tea. So this has sencha green tea, has lavender, has jasmine, and has peppermint. And you know what? Normally, tea that has jasmine in it, it is like, it punches you in the face. Oh, yeah. It, it's, it's not... <sighs> You know, like if you've ever met a jasmine, they're not like sweet flowers and they're just like, oh, whatever you want. No, like if you meet a jasmine, you're about to have to get them whatever it is they need. They're either going to take over or wreak havoc. Like you got to let one of those happen. Um, And 
But the thing with this one, the Austin weirdness, the weird thing about Austin weirdness is that the lavender kind of ties everything together. So the jasmine doesn't punch you in the face. Um, the peppermint is not like, hello, I am mint. You know, like these are all like very specific types of green tea that have come together harmoniously and I think it's the lavender I yeah. really do to make the perfect blend so it's funny that you mentioned the jet I didn't realize that there was jasmine in this tea until you said it and suddenly I'm realizing that is jasmine that I'm tasting because it the lavender changes it as well as the mint the mint kind of smooths everything out because you're right usually jasmine and mint are just like I am here drink me taste me feel me smell me you know <laughs> And <laughs> feel me smell. <laughs> that was great. That was great. <laughs> but here it's just like, yes, there is indeed jasmine and also mint. Well, and I remember when I first tried this, I said, you know what, it's really weird. I can't even pick everything in it. And I hadn't read the ingredients. I purposely didn't because I just wanted to taste it and <laughs> feel it and smell it. Um, <laughs> I wanted to do that. I wanted a clean run. And I was just like, I feel like this is jasmine, but is this not, is this, I feel like there's peppermint in it too. And I was just like, but why is the jasmine not punching me in the face? Because I... Typically with jasmine tea, um, I always put too much in my diffuser and then I end up having to water it down a lot more <laughs> and then I end up with like a pint of tea to drink <laughs> because I put too much because jasmine really does take over. It is really strong and this one was like, that's jasmine, is it not? Jasmine, are you there? You know? <laughs> But anyway, I think this is a perfect tea for um, if you like green tea and you haven't really found a blend that you like yet, I absolutely suggest this tea in Texas one. I haven't had anything from tea in Texas I didn't like. Nor have I. I haven't. And I just, I don't know how they're doing this. What sort of witchcraft is this? It's because it's from Texas. Brujeria. No, kidding. <laughs> it's not. It's not. I promise it isn't. <laughs> But no. So I think that's that's it. I just try it. Y'all get get this. Try it. <laughs> Let's get back to our book. So we're in the loss of Kurt Cobain chapter. So we open up with he's gone and he Dave gets this phone call saying that Kurt Cobain has died. And then immediately following that phone call he gets another phone call saying that no he's going to make it and this creates this emotional void in Dave that kind of messes up the actual death of Kurt Cobain for him because he can't actually grieve appropriately the way well, that he needs to he reacted to the first phone call right and it's really it's really odd, you know, when you have this, it, it just, it reminded me of like, I had gotten a phone call. I remember when my grandmother had passed away and the first phone call was that, okay, she's in a coma, but she's stable. And we're like, all right, you know, and that was our emotional reaction. And then we got another phone call later saying like, no. And now this is the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> and we had already had our emotional response to the first call. So your brain is like, delaying that because now you're like huh <laughs> and so his first reaction was just like oh my god like that was the 
big reaction. It was the the mourning of the loss and everything, and he got it out. And then the next phone call comes, and they're like, oh, he's going to make it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, you know, a lot of us are fans and we all felt the loss of Kurt Cobain in the music and just in the music world as fans but this was Dave Grohl's best friend he knew him as a father mm -hmm. he knew him as a friend he knew him as a bandmate they sh they did life together this this was really hard for me to read actually um, yeah I, I I don't know any other way to put it it was just, it was really hard for me to read this and it had to have been crazy hard for him to write it. And listening to the audiobook that's actually read by Dave Grohl, I have no idea how he got through reading it because I was struggling reading it as a fan. Well, and also, well, at, at the time of this audio, we had we have another death. <laughs> and so, I mean, I think we, we both read this part before we heard about Taylor. And so... It's hard as it is to go back and talk about this because we know things now. <laughs> um, but yeah, just hearing his reaction, like now that now that Taylor's gone, I'm just like, dang, is he OK? Like, I just want to like go and hug him. <laughs> I know when I heard about Taylor Hawkins death, I I was telling Gilbert, I said, I, I don't think I've ever been so concerned about a person I never met. I was I was genuinely concerned about Dave Grohl. And as as devastating as it w was to lose Taylor Hawkins as a fan, I I was genuinely concerned about the well being of Dave Grohl because I'm like this is the third best friend he's lost. Yeah, because he is. also talks about Jimmy. This is I mean yeah it is and that's I think that's why now talking about this section it's kind of. It's tender. It's it was already difficult. <laughs> it was it was already something hard. And because I think people really can relate to this section of losing someone that they really care about and like having to go through those steps of like knowing that you're you got to figure out how to live without them. Yeah, that whole uh, my life became a series of firsts mm -hmm. that that was so sad. It it made me literally cry while reading the book I'm like oh my gosh I don't want him to go through this and now he's going through it again and then he has to go through it again it's awful it is I mean but I mean both of us have have lost somebody very Dear, close to yeah. us you know and so it was and when you think back on that you're just like yeah it was it was a series at first I know one of the things I always had to do was do something and it would be like the day I got the news, I knew that I needed to do something. I needed to go do something um, because sitting there was just it's hard because you start thinking about now I have to do this without them. Now I have to do this without them, you know, and it's just like a list of things that you have to do now without them. And that's hard. And the worst part about all of it was that Dave had put away all of his instruments. The thing that he gathered the most joy from he was rejecting you know it was about as clear and clean cut a depression as they get mm -hmm. um, and then he tried to run away to a place where he felt emotionally freed 
in the past and Kurt Cobain followed him even there when he found when he saw that rocker kid with the with the Kurt Cobain shirt on and it was just I I I can't imagine having to grieve in the way that he had to grieve for a friend that that was that close and all you see is his face on these strangers. Yeah. I think he said the the quote that he wrote in his book it says these deaths still resonate like a long echo throughout my life and not a day goes by when I don't think of Kurt and Jimmy. So I, I when I heard when I read that I was just like a long echo. God damn. Like that's it really is. Then he gets this crazy phone call that kind of forces him out of this stupor for lack of a better phrase <laughs> from Tom Petty's one of Tom Petty's producers is that correct mm. yeah um no Tom Petty called his um manager oh yes well an associate of his manager I guess yeah so he gets this phone call inviting him to be a heartbreaker for the evening with Tom Petty for SNL and he goes in and he's recording and has this crazy experience with rock royalty that probably would have made any other rocker piss themselves of sheer joy I'm I'm pretty sure Gil probably would have lost it <laughs> so he so he gets this opportunity to be a heartbreaker for the night and then they offer him a permanent gig. And Dave Grohl has the cojones not only to say, let me think about it, because I don't know a lot of people that wouldn't just be like, oh, my God, yes, yes, Well, I don't yes. think it was the cojones. He has imposter syndrome. I'm, I'm actually in awe that this book exists <laughs> because Dave Grohl has imposter syndrome. And we'll get into that later in the book. But, like, he's just like, why me? Like, why would I... Cause you're freaking awesome. Like that's why. Well, and and this is this is why that's so laughable. Cause he just got done recording almost the entirety of the first Foo Fighters album by himself with the leftover tape from his friend's production jobs. It's like, <laughs> is there any tape at the end of the the reel? And he goes in and he's flying from instrument to instrument and just overlaying the tape and it turns into the, the first Foo Fighters album. It's it's hysterical for him to be sitting there going, but I'm me. It's like, yeah, you are. Gosh, I'm just saying, that's why I was like, no, I think imposter syndrome is at very real. Yeah, I'm pretty sure somebody forced him to write this book. It was, it, it was, it had to have been either Mama Grohl or, or. It was like, dude, you should write a book. What? Why? <laughs> yeah, or maybe it was the entire team of Mama Grohl and his wife and the children and maybe a few other people. They probably forced it out of him. I'm glad it exists. Yes, whoever it was, thank you because we very much enjoyed it. So he's, he turns down Tom Petty, which is impressive. And he decides that he wants to do this project that he's lovingly carrying back from the tape copying place that he's only planning to pass out to friends and family and, and people that he cares about and doesn't expect it to go any further. And then he makes a whole nother band called the Foo Fighters, mm -hmm. 
which for all of us Foo fans out there, are, we're very grateful for that, Dave. <laughs> well, he did end up playing with Tom Petty eventually. Yes, he well he he did the SNL show. Yeah. And um he just opted to not be their permanent touring drummer. Yeah. And decided to do this Foo Fighters project. Well, can I can I go back to the Tom Petty thing because I think I think every musician gets to a point in their life where they get to, they play with somebody that's bigger than them and has command of the room and this scene where the camera had to be a certain way and um, they were like, oh, can you move your drum set this way? Or can you move this one part of your drum set this way, like a few inches? And, you know, he was supposed he's going to be like, yeah. And then he was like, no, that won't work because if I move it like that, then I won't be able to do this. And so he ends up having to stand his ground, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and then what was the other thing? It was like the, the monitor, the monitor and the mic. Yeah. And they were like, um, Tom Petty came back at this yeah. producer kid saying, no, we spent a long time trying to get this right and sound check. And if we move it, it's going to get messed up. Right. And because then, at this point, everything was there was still a lot of analog stuff and everything wasn't digital yet so it made a difference where it was located in the room mm -hmm. and then he tom petty kind of shrugs his shoulders and said do what you want dude he moved it over and there was this horrible feedback oh gosh it it's and, just you could hear it <laughs> <laughs> like i heard it in my heart yeah that's it that you can't yeah, like don't move it you don't move this like what you don't move the musician setup uh -huh. after that after they do sound check if you want a camera there you have to find another camera figure that sits it out there. yeah you have to figure it out yeah because it's not the band's job to mm -mm. move <laughs> and now we know why and that, that whoever that was knows why yeah and it's what was what was great about it was even dave said it wasn't a shaming and it wasn't a lecture it was just this you know you fucked up and he wanted to make sure he knew that he fucked up. So he goes, no, I want you to tell me what I told you. Mm -hmm. And made him repeat back and then made him move it back. Yeah, he's like, that's right. Now put it back. Yes. I read that. I was just like, yep, that's what happens. Tom Petty is a badass. <laughs> right, because he could have raised hell before it happened. Uh -huh. He was like, no, I'm going to let them. Yeah. I'm going to let them F it up so they can see that they need to put it back. Mm-hmm. Tom Petty, the badass. <laughs> Dave opts to not be a heartbreaker and decides to be a Foo Fighter. <laughs> and then we just kind of skip through a bunch of stuff and end up with this whole dysfunctional period of the Foo Fighters before Taylor mm -hmm. joins the band. Um, and... The drummer, the original drummer for the Foo Fighters got kind of bent out of shape because Dave actually went in and re-recorded his drum parts because they weren't the way that he wanted it. And people were coming in and out of the project left and right. And uh, the guy that he started this all with, which he's still in the band, Nate, calls him one day while they're on a little hiatus saying, I'm not sure I want to do this anymore, and Dave loses his temper, hangs up the phone, and as far as he was concerned, that was the end of the Foo Fighters. 
and Nate calls him the very next morning. Oh, Dave continues on to get blackout drunk, yes? Uh, I think so. Yeah. And so <laughs> while he's sleeping it off, his mother lightly taps on the door and says, Dave, sweet, he, um, Nate's on the phone. And so they have this like bro love moment. <laughs> where Nate says, "I had a, I had a temporary lapse of judgment, man. I'm so sorry, and it's, and all is left in the past." And and we skip ahead to Taylor joining the band, and they take this crazy bro cross country, yeah, bro road trip from California to Virginia with a light a mile detour to Dallas. Oh yeah, because the um, who was it? Pantera. Yes, Pantera has their own strip club in Dallas. Like I read that, and I was just like, "Of course they that do." That makes sense. Yeah, of course they do. <laughs> it's like that. That makes sense. Yeah. So they they met Pantera at this Oz Fest that Dave did not understand why he they were even there. Um, he was. He was carrying on about seeing these guys in board shorts and sunglasses, and he thought that they were nocturnal creatures. <laughs> it was it was a very it's a very funny section in the book. And they got to party with Pantera, so they said, "Anytime you're in Dallas, come to our strip club." So they they take this two hundred mile detour to go to Dallas because if y'all are aware of how the U.S. is situated, L.A is not anywhere in the vicinity of that's i i don't even remember like what i was just like how would you even do that i pulled on the way i have gps open like right now and i'm just like i don't even know how they would do this because you have to go further south you could take 10 all the way from houston to la yeah and if you go to dallas I mean, you can take, what is this? Is this 20? <laughs> it's 40. But even if you take 40 all the way over, you still have to, you end up in Oklahoma City or Tulsa or something, and you'd have to go south to Dallas. Like, it's a huge detour. A huge one. Yeah, it, it's 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 arguably a separate road trip it to really do this is. Dallas thing. And so they get to Dallas, and Dave realizes that he left his wallet 300 miles away at a gas station (laughs) and they can't even go into the strip club nope they have this whole moment and they get to virginia and dave gets all of his stuff situated in his new home where they're going to later record the the foo fighters album can we say the other funny thing about that home there was that scene where they were trying to find a cat like stuck in the floorboard (laughs) and he and his mom were like trying to trying to find this cat and they walked around and it ended up (laughs) he said the kitten that we'd been chasing all over the studio for the past 45 minutes happened to be my mother's right sandal meowing every time she took a step we were certain it was a kitten trapped in the wall it's like dave Grohl, the humanitarian so sweet 45 minutes they were chasing around this imaginary cat They the the people that owned the gas station, he ran into their daughter in California buying like some at some surf shop, and she, she's looking at his name on his card, and you know I'm sure he's used to are you Dave Grohl you're like the Dave Grohl I'm sure he's used to that by now, 
and she's saying, my parents still have your wallet. <laughs> and wherever the hell he was, Miss, Miss, wherever. It was like Barstow or something. Yeah, Barstow. And it's it's they still have it if you want it. And apparently they mailed it back to him. Everything in his life is completely insane. <laughs> it's like he's stumbling through a, a comic book novel. No, it is. It's it's just a series of interesting events uh-huh. <laughs> that don't get they don't get watered down at all. Like he's just like boom, <laughs> there it is. And then we get to this. This is what I wanted section. We see a lot of things just really come full circle for Dave. Yeah, this is where he mentions, um, you know, his wife and have getting his wife being pregnant and him dealing with having a girl. You know, he's going to have a daughter and I'm gonna be a girl dad. Right. Another girl. What does he have? Three girls? Three girls. Yeah. yeah. He's a girl dad. He's like big time. You know, and you, <laughs> it's getting with that and thinking that, you know, Traditionally thinking like, okay, if I have a boy, he's going to like things that I like. And I talk to them and it ended up being his girls, you know, <laughs> when um, Violet was born. This is the one that he describes as his mini me. Yeah. And she was crying. And then she, um, he said, hey, Violet, it's dad. And she immediately stopped screaming. Her eyes locked with mine. She recognized my voice. We stared at each other in silence. Our first introduction. And I smiled and talked to her as if I had known her my whole life. And I'm happy to say that still to this day, when we lock eyes, it's the same feeling. I know. (laughs) And you can just, reading through this whole entire chapter, it's just like, I like, I love Dave Grohl. Like, (laughs) I love him. I do. Jordan's the luckiest woman in the world. And it's this this whole section just reads like a sweet little love letter to his family. I I loved it. It was so nice, especially after that chapter that was so hard to read a couple chapters ago about Kurt and Jimmy. But um, I think that's a good place to kind of wrap. Yeah, I think so. I guess, what, next week we're going to go ahead and finish it up? Yeah, we're going to close out the book and um, close out our season. Yeah, this will be it. Yay, season mm-hmm. one. So we'll do that little mini celebration. Absolutely. Um, let's go ahead and do our shout out. So shout out to our boys, Matt and Frank over at Sugarland Specs. You guys never give me a bad bottle. So shout out to our winemakers, Michael and David, for our freak show. Great bottle, guys. And I want to say a big thank you to Anita at Tea in Texas for this green tea Austin weirdness. So far, I haven't had a bad blend from this place. So check them out at teaintexas.com or you can find their link in our show notes. Cheers. Until next time. And remember, don't waste your time drinking bad wine. Don't oversteep your tea. And join us next week on Wine, Tea, and Tasty Reads, a Giro Music production. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review Wine, Tea, and Tasty Reads wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure to follow us on Instagram at Wine, Tea, Tasty Reads for fun extras and links to our bonus content. Mm-hmm.